In this episode, we're going to look at fourth quarter of 2021, at least calendar year, first quarter of 2022, as we're coming up on October, and we're going to look at a few of the current events that have happened, what probably will happen, or we'll take a good guess on it since I'm usually doing pretty good on that. And then we'll see uh, where we might be headed into 2022. That's kind of a current events breakdown, catch up on a few things and see the kind of things I look at so you can realize where I get my info. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. First up is always popular question, what I think about things in the military, and this one is a question somebody wants to know about my thoughts on Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. He's the Marine officer who came out in uniform in his office in the Marine Corps after we left Afghanistan during the evacuation. Everything that happened was some Marines and soldiers died and made some statements against the president and has made other statements against other former presidents and military officers and wanting to know what I think about it. So I'll tell you what I think and tell you what's going on with this guy. So to break it down, everybody I know in the military has kind of the same thought process when it comes to this individual, and I think we should point that out so that people don't get too confused or misunderstood when it comes to the opinions of members or former members of the military. Just like anything in politics, I think it breaks down to two kinds of people. There are people that are liberal or Democrat politically, and they're broken down into those that support the president, wanted him in office, and then those that didn't. And the ones that are critical of him kind of say more along the normal lines of like, hey, what are you doing? We don't like this. We think this was a bad idea. You screwed this up. On the conservative Republican side, there are people that are saying the same thing. There's also people that are saying all kinds of things because they just don't like the president in general. But members of the military, former members of the military, kind of look at it this way. On one hand, and this isn't about the president, this is about the statements that Colonel Scheller made. On one hand, there are people that are like, hey, we see you ask these questions. We agree with some of these questions. We think it was handled incorrectly, whether they really know how that stuff goes down or not. Most of them do not. So there's that. On the other hand, even if they agree with the statements he made, we look at it like you fucked up. What he did while being in uniform affects good order and discipline, affects chain of command, affects a lot of things in the military based on military law and what you're subject to while you're there, which he's well aware of. And we think, you know what, Ed is a private citizen. I like what you said. It's good to see somebody do that. But on the other hand, we're like, you're about to get fired. You're an idiot. You're a piece of shit. That's just kind of how we look at it. He violated several different things, conduct on becoming, you know, there's disrespect, which can be filed under certain things. And the UCMJ, there's also contemptuous statements towards commanders, which is a very serious charge. Disobeying a direct order, which he's done more than once. And possible other charges. Now, it should come as no surprise he was fired. It'd be called a relief for cause, at least in the Army. That's what it would be called. I'm probably guessing, I would say it's probably the same thing in the Marine Corps. It's a similar title. But he's officially fired and his career is over even if nothing happens with this. And he'll probably leave the military. He's at around 17, 18 years. He could retire early. From the side of discipline in the military, for him to get away with this, and granted, if he was like a staff sergeant, 
it wouldn't be that big a deal in the news and the punishment would be worse than it would be as an officer. But for him to get away with this would mean some sort of low-level conviction followed by being allowed to retire with full benefits. That would be him getting away with this. That wouldn't happen with an enlisted soldier, but that'll happen with an officer. He's currently in pretrial confinement. He's in the jail called the Brig in the Marine Corps. He was given a direct order not to use social media. He violated that. He wrote an email to one of his commanders and said, have the MPs waiting for me. I'm ready to go to jail, which was stupid to do. It was just smart mouth thing. And this is all going to come up in his court-martial. He's, he's going to get court-martialed. They did an Article 32 investigation. We know this because if you look them up in the news, they're about to have an Article 32 hearing. Article 32 investigation is very serious. It took a little over a month, about the same amount of time it would for anything. People are involved. Certain officers are designated. They do an investigation. They review all the material and to decide where to go from there. And now it's going to go to an Article 32 hearing. Article 32 hearing gives the prosecution a case to look at and say, we want to add these charges. We want to see about possibly removing these charges. We want to make these recommendations and move on to a court-martial, which can be a general or special court-martial. Special court-martial doesn't require an Article 32 hearing. So if they say, hey, we want to do a special court-martial, that basically means they're dropping it down a little bit in its severity. My guess is he'll go to a general court-martial, mostly because he spoke out against a sitting president and he has the opposing politics of that president, and I don't think the president's going to get him, let him get away with it. So that's probably going to happen. The question is, how long will that take? It's hard to say. I'm not sure when the hearing is and how long that will take. Probably a few days at most. Less than a week is my guess. From there, they'll move on and schedule a court-martial. They could ask for him to be released, but more than likely, my guess is they won't release him. They'll allow him to visit family and that kind of stuff or have family visit him, but he'll probably stay in the brig. If he is released and then he goes and does something again, he's not supposed to like get on social media or they figure out that he did, then he's definitely completely screwed. But he's made a series of bad decisions. What are the really bad things that he did just to put it in perspective? It's not as much what he said, it's how he did it. He was in uniform, which you're not allowed to do, making partisan political statements while in uniform. And even if he wasn't in uniform, identifying himself as an active duty member of the military and also being an officer, which is held to a higher standard, that would still be treated the same way as being in uniform, identifying himself that way in his command and then making all these statements. That's the real serious charge to kick this all off. And then it just goes from there. See, it's like any law. It's not about whether or not you agree with the guy. It's not about freedom of speech. It's not about, well, we think he's right and they're just embarrassed because they don't like what he said. There's tons of people saying stuff. That happens with any president or any politician. Anytime they do something, there's always people out there that are critical of them. That's just the world we live in. It's just a matter of how we did it. I actually compare it to Colin Kaepernick and other people who took a knee while uh, during the national anthem in football. I'm sure it's happened in other sports now too. Regardless of the statements they were making, they were working for somebody and broke the rules. Now, obviously these multi-million dollar athletes weren't taken uh, the same way and fired or anything like that, at least to my knowledge. I don't follow sports, but it's kind of the same idea. Somebody did something completely wrong for the company that they worked for and broke the rules. And this time the company is going to go after them and the company is the Department of Defense. So short version, his career's over, he's done, he will leave the military, getting away with it would be 
completely dismissing everything or sending him to a special court martial, which results in him retiring early and keeping all of his benefits. What should happen to him, in my opinion, and this is, although I don't think this will happen, a lot of things in the military are not taken that seriously anymore, especially when it's an officer, which has always been true, or if it's somebody like, oh, what's his name, Bradley Manning, because he comes out, especially says he's transgendered, they like, oh, hey, we know we can't do this. What should happen to him? He should receive a general court-martial. He should be removed forcibly from the military. He should receive a significant reduction in rank, which should affect his retirement. And realistically, I think he should be denied his retirement and even denied uh, all of his benefits. I think once we start doing that again, we're going to start seeing some changes in the military. And based on things that are happening in the military now, downsizing a little bit, pulling people from overseas, probably going into the cycle of peacetime where we allow people to get out, slow down promotions and all the stuff that got crazy in the last 20 years. I think we'll take things more seriously and I think it'll be better for the military. So despite some of the people that got away with things, President Trump exonerated some people, President Obama did too, they probably shouldn't have. I'd actually consider it a success and a positive thing, especially if President Biden got on board and made some statements and they basically really slapped this guy and punished him. And that's what should happen. Now, going on from there into the fourth quarter, sometimes I like to do this and discuss the quarter, especially at the end of the year, going on and seeing what's going on. I did receive a question about COVID. I never really addressed that on here, but the question was about a mutation called E4A4K that apparently people are talking about. I am not big into following anything about the pandemic anymore. I did for about the first year, and near the end of that year, I slowed down a bit. But I'll look at the question this way. Why is this being talked about? A couple of reasons why this could probably be talked about. One is, well, to give you a little background on it, it was starting to be discussed and publicly put out there in journals and things like December of last year, January 2021, almost a year ago. So on one hand, like a lot of things on the internet, it could just be that memes or discussions or something to come around to people and they're finally talking about it now and they don't know that it's been around a while or so there's that. It's just one of the mutations. The other possibility is like many mutations, they have existed, even been documented and been in a isolated location and haven't seemed to grow and spread. And then just like in the beginning of the pandemic, people travel in this mutation does whatever, and whether it traveled or not, based on other mutations and other things going on when they interact together, there could be a larger outbreak, if that's the word you want to use, of this variant spreading. There's all kinds of reason for it. It's like Delta. I think Delta wasn't that new, but it finally made it to America, and you had like the Brazil variant, which I don't think was Delta. And then there was like one in India, one in Europe, one in like one or two in Africa. They just kind of move around and get talked about. So I'm not really a person to talk to about mutations. I can just tell you two most likely reasons is one, it's made its rounds in the internet or two, it's interacted somewhere and started to spread and causing more issues that people weren't seeing. You know, it's real interesting stuff, no matter what you think about the pandemic, to look up the mutations and realize that at a minimum, there's hundreds of them out there now. There's people who have had multiple versions of them in their bodies. There's been more than one case that's been documented where people have been tested and they found more than one mutation in their body and then they're interacting together and it's causing all kinds of craziness, which really just means it's not going anywhere. There is no cure, just like there isn't for any of the other versions of, of coronaviruses. You know, there's no cure for the flu. 
It's out there. It exists. That's just part of life now. Oh, I should mention too, I, I totally forgot about this. With that Colonel Scheller guy, one of the things that I did see be talked about is people are thinking this is a conspiracy because he wanted to put some sort of charges out against the president and other people. You know, he wanted to file charges or something. He can't do that. He's not a JAG officer. It's not his job to do. So unless he was a lawyer who was involved in the process, he can't make charges against senior leaders. There's a thing called preferral charges, as in preferred, but preferral. It's similar to an indictment. If you look that up, there's definitions of it for military and civilian law. What sounds like the least important version of that is really what he could do. He could make a formal complaint against people basically claiming misconduct or something along those lines. More likely, nothing would have ever happened with it. I'm sure he knows that. The only other way preferral charges happen, which probably already have happened, is the convening authority, whoever convenes Article 32 hearings, who does the pretrial investigation, the Article 32 investigation, as I discussed. From that will come preferral charges against Colonel Scheller. So charges will be there. They just won't be what he wanted. So going on to that, let's see what else we got other than the pandemic. And do understand, too, one of the things he's talked about was when I used to train people, train them here for JSOC, when we'd have them do research and stuff, we'd give them different subjects and things around the world to look at in order to figure things out, whatever the discussion was. I'd always tell them, look, everything comes down to trade and treaties. Everything in the world, we say money, but it functions based on trade and treaties. So one of the things to look at, too, with economies, even our own, one of the things people don't seem to talk about is the effect the coronavirus has on the economy and still is, especially in developing countries with emerging markets. And it's it's affecting trade a lot. Another thing I think will probably come out at some point, it's not being talked about a lot, but like we talk about China a lot. It's talked a lot more on conservative sides now because we have a liberal president and there's always discussions of we'll be to war there soon and there's definitely a strong possibility for it. But there's nothing really going on that says war any more than it always has. For example... China comes out and makes some statements against Taiwan. We'll nuke you. We'll blow you up. We'll invade you. Yeah, those sound serious, but there's no different than anybody else saying anything. And they have said that many times over many years. Just like people say, our economy has to collapse. Maybe it does. But just because something eventually happens doesn't mean you were right when you forecasted it constantly for decades. But one of the things I think people are missing is that we have a trade deal with China that's coming to a close. It's part of the reason why we're seeing many more things in the news, no matter who the president is, regarding the trade in China. China is building more cooperation around the world. is becoming more notable, even before their involvement with Afghanistan. And it's because they're trying to make up potential losses of what could happen. And then there's all these things we're seeing now, like we're doing submarine technology deals with Australia, and there's other trade deals with our closest partners in Canada and Great Britain and some stuff in Europe. China doesn't like that. They sell a lot of stuff to Europe. They're trying to say that we're doing A, B, and C. We're saying they're doing A, B, and C. But what's really happening behind the scenes is everybody's trying to establish stronger relationships with the people they can keep. Because if this trade deal goes away, if it doesn't get renegotiated, which even if it does, doesn't really mean a lot. It depends what the end result is. It's going to affect tariffs and trade policy that we have with China. And they're a very close trading partner with ours. That's what you want to look into. You want to get away from this idea of like, you know, that stupid commercial that came out where it was like all these Chinese kids being talked to about how, why China took over America because we owed all this debt. That's all bullshit. 
we owe debt to two other places long before we owe anything to China and Japan's right in there close with China too. And Japan's an ally. China has a lot of debt too. They're not a strong economic nation. They're just building and expanding and they have issues too. So it affects both countries. Neither country really wants to lose a trade deal, but they also want to lose a trade deal because of some things that are in there. So we got to see what happens with that. But when you're looking at things like China and other nations, always look at trade deals, what kind of trade happens between them and other parties or other parties that go through to those countries as well as tariffs and treaties and to see what's really happening to understand why, you know, whatever. That's why I say stuff with China is going to take a while and it's it's hard to figure out because what most people see are just mouthpieces. Usually presidents come out and say stuff or, you know, some sort of secretary or equivalent of a secretary of state. But those statements don't matter. What matters is what actually happens. It's like being in a relationship. Statements are nice, but it's the behavior that matters. So focus more on the behavior and the things that happen, not really statements people make, especially when they're statements they've made so many other times. Another thing, too, that's happening with China, and I don't think people pay attention to this, is they're working on regulatory agreements and stuff, especially when it comes to developments of technology, things they want to do in different sectors, and even with investments. Why is this important? It's because we forget that other people have things like rules and regulations, and we think because a place like China and they're communists that, well, it's all bullshit anyway. That's not the case. Part of it is because when you put regulations in, even on your own country or a sector within your country, when it's a sector that gets investment, so it's any kind of market that people can invest money to or countries can invest money to, any regulation you make can affect them. It's the same way looking at our own regulations. There's regulations we can make that may, as a country, may be better, but we won't make them because they affect certain private industries that are influential, have a lot of money. All countries work that way. So any regulation they make could be good for them and could be bad for other people. So that's something else to look at. Now, one of the things I've talked about for a long time, especially on YouTube, but I teach people about this, is when we look at Muslim extremist groups, okay, not Muslims in general, the extremist groups, Extremist groups tend to fall on the sides of Sunnis and Shia. Most of the money that's spent on terrorism comes from the Shia side through Iran. Most of the stuff you hear about that actually happens are Sunni extremist groups. Biggest threat that's always been is if these two ideologies get on the same page, which would be very dangerous, and some have worked together in small-scale stuff, but due to the religious backgrounds, is somewhat unlikely. But some of the things we're seeing now is different Sunni rivals and groups across the world starting to work together, this includes terrorist organizations. Most recent one was in Afghanistan. We had people from like the LET, the TTP, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, and several other groups actually helping each other and working together, minus one of them that was being a little too rough. As the Taliban started moving through Afghanistan all the way through us leaving there. Not to mention Haqqani's being involved there, the ISI of Pakistan. And even now, as I talked about a few weeks ago, Pakistani military has been on the ground working for the Taliban to fight Taliban's version of the bad guys. But now we're seeing other groups like Egypt and Turkey are going to kind of ease their rivalry through negotiations. We've got places in the Gulf Cooperation Council in the Gulf states, such as Qatar and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia and the UAE, restoring tourism ties. And a lot of that happened under President Trump's administration. People said they didn't like it, but he worked with the UAE and other countries to get trade and flights going back again. Why that's good money-wise when it comes to trade, especially things like oil, but not just oil, that could lead to other problems in the future or other successes or both, including trade, people making money, helping other countries out, you know, what are potential bad sides, 
people getting on the same page, financing terrorism, using their militaries for terrorism. We could see things where we have a treaty with Saudi Arabia where anything that happens to them, we owe them military support, which could eventually come into some of these other states. Even though we're already helping them out anyway, it's hard to say where that comes in. And then that, of course, pisses off Iran because everything floats right by Iran going through either the Gulf of Aden or the Strait of Hormuz to get up into Southern Asia and the Middle East area or go up through the Red Sea to get out to Europe. And that's another potential problem there. So that's something to definitely pay attention to. You know, Iran's Iran. They're playing games on and off again with nuclear stuff. It's basically relatively been the same for a long time, but we'll see what happens there. One of the things, too, is I th- we're going to start seeing more about is refugees from Afghanistan. There's two types or two ways that they're traveling. Like We're hearing about it here because they came here, but that was happening already. So there's refugees that left Afghanistan and were taken to other countries. Now, some places like, I think it was Uzbekistan, maybe. I don't remember. One of the Turkmenistan, one of those countries sent them back. But they're being resettled to other locations. Okay, so that happens. Stuff like that does happen. So two types of refugee issues. One is we and allies evacuate them and send them to other countries, especially in Europe. Then they leave those countries and become refugees and migrate to other countries they want to be in. Europe doesn't want to see that same problem they had in 2015. I don't think it's as likely, but could happen. The other things we're having now with refugee issues is refugees still in Afghanistan that are leaving, trying to go to other countries. Places like Pakistan are kicking them back. And a lot of people don't realize what's really happening there. And then... The other thing, too, is they can get up into Iran, which Iran doesn't want unless they can send them on their merry way. Now, here's what's interesting, the reason I bring this up. The northwest tip of Iran is just this little little tip out there that goes into Turkey. And that little tip of it's about 25% of the border Iran shares with Turkey. The other 75% is almost a straight line south. What people don't know is that little tip, that 25%, there's already a border wall being built, like President Trump talked about being here, and they're talking about building building it further and continuing it down to stop the flow of migration from Iran as well as the flow of terrorism. And the reason that works out for them really well is because where that southern end of the border from Iran and Turkey meet in Turkey's southeast corner, then as you head west on Turkey's southern border, you have Iraq, and that's all Kurdish territory, and it's not the same as the Syrian Kurds. And those are Kurds that don't like Iran, and they don't like Turkey. So the fact that that's Kurdistan protects Turkey from people coming through Iraq, the only other way for them to do it is to go way south through Iraq into Syria, where we have Syrian Kurds as well as other areas of that border being controlled by Turkey and some by Lebanon. And Turkey is basically surrounding it, this situation with kind of this defensive perimeter of people, militaries in the border to affect the flow of the Muslim population. And Turkey is a strange country to deal with. But I think that the reason I mentioned this, I think we're going to start hearing more about Turkey and Egypt and Turkey in the Middle East. That's just my thoughts. Now, more and more we're hearing stuff about Belarus. Belarus is a small country part of the former Soviet bloc to the west side of Russia, east side of Europe. They're actually, I believe, splitting Russia from Germany or somewhere around that area on the map. The thing with Belarus is they are essentially the same as Russia as far as their politics, how they operate, how they run their country internally. They've always worked that way. They've always had close ties with Russia, and we're hearing more about it now. Why? Russia's military is getting more involved, providing training and money to Belarus. If you look at Belarus, it's just north of Ukraine. Now, I say that because if you think back over the years, everything Russia's tried to do in Ukraine and Crimea and all this other stuff, because 
They don't want Ukraine to join NATO because it creates a zero border between Russia and NATO. Ukraine creates that buffer. And that's what they've always wanted, but there's been tons of problems there. And then they're still dealing with stuff on Ukraine, which you can look up on the internet and see what's going on. The north side of that border is Belarus. And that's something they want to control. And if they control that, they'll surround Ukraine on two sides and they have more of an influence and direct control and impact on Ukraine. Realistically, long-term, I think the reason they're getting more involved with Belarus now is because of how they've got less involved with Ukraine is that they're going to establish more of a foothold there and then they're going to go after Ukraine again. And then they're probably going to get away with it at some point. And that's going to affect things in Europe, NATO, how we respond, trade and treaties. Biggest problem we'll see is with all of our pull out of militaries, and we've had guys we pulled out of Germany and moved farther west of countries that wanted to pay us to be there, that unless the president wants to deploy a bunch of troops, if that Belarus foothold and they go in and basically take over Ukraine or do something in Ukraine to get Ukraine on their side, we'll see it as a threat too. We'll just say it's Russia being bad. The real issue will be what happens if it looks like a threat Europe wants us to respond. European Union is starting to fall apart anyway. And then we say we're not going, no matter who the president is. We're not dealing with it. That's your problem. Well, while that could sound like a good idea, the downside to that will be going back to trade and treaties. What trade does that affect? How does that affect those nations' relationships with us and then the relationships they have with other people and how those affect us? Or what relationships do they develop? What happens if they start developing closer relations with nations that are actually friendly with Russia that we don't like? And we start pushing Europe more towards our opposing side. There's all kinds of possibilities of what could happen there. And those are things to pay attention to because Russia's been doing a lot of stuff too, just like China. They're getting more involved in technology. They're getting more involved in messing with people's elections. That's nothing new, but it's happening more and more. They're reaching out and they're basically following the north side of the globe slightly ahead of where China has been and been continuing to move that way. And that's something I don't think people are always seeing. Now, I've talked about Venezuela in the past and the fact we almost went there a couple years ago and they're having more problems. They have always had problems. Things are happening in Venezuela. I think I mentioned recently the reason we care about Venezuela is how much oil we get from them. Brazil's having political and energy crises, which has been going on. Places like Argentina have fallen apart below or before. They've had ups and downs on their economic growth, ups and downs on how their politics works, ups and downs and things like rain and other stuff that normally happens there and the fact that they're Brazil's drought stricken right now. And, you know, how much more would that drought affect them if we hadn't cut down all those rainforests? It's, it's getting really bad. There's opposing government negotiations in Venezuela. Is that government is unstable and volatile and a bunch of people recently quit? Not to mention, if you go up to Central America and places like Mexico, we have things with energy reform and oil and stuff is becoming a problem there and how they're playing voting in to decide which referendums are going to work or who's going to vote on binding resolutions. And all these things are going to affect us because I mentioned Mexico because they're number four in export of oil to the U.S. So what happens if Mexico and Venezuela have issues and they can't give us oil anymore? That could be a really huge deal and then places like chile is having general elections again and they're having issues with social issues and they're trying to look at rewriting their constitution and they're not addressing issues there and this is on top of anything you hear about a virus down there these places are all having a hard time and then you go back to afghanistan taliban's trying to 
get more legitimacy and stabilization, and they'll they'll get it. They're getting enough support there. They will get stabilization as they see it. They'll get legitimacy as they see it. Legitimacy will take a little bit longer. And they'll, they don't care about the refugees too much. They just want them out of there because they want the country to be the way they want it. So we're seeing all these unstable things being talked about more. And the question is, is are we going to get involved in all of them? No, we can't. But which ones are we going to choose to get involved in? And it's going to be the ones that benefit us most as a nation. It's going to come down again to trade and treaties. So that's kind of the thing. So there's... The two hot topics, really, are the two most volatile places is when we have all this dysfunction going on in South America and Central America and where we get oil and other resources from because the drug trade issue is over with. So we have that. If that becomes a threat, one or both of those countries with oil, we could get involved there. The other issue we have with places in Africa with growing terrorism, terrorism moving down south there and places starting to fight back against groups like al-qaeda and other groups you probably never heard of that are there and how they're expanding but they're getting closer to nations that are going to affect us because of things like trade and treaties so the question will be which place do we get involved in but more than likely i'd still say either one of those long before the pacific or long before going back to the middle east any serious event could happen that could kick anything off but short of a serious event and looking at a series of smaller events that we choose to exercise military force in more than likely South America and Africa, but that's been volatile for a long time. So it's hard to say it could be 20 years before we see another war. And so going back into Africa, there's all kinds of things like recently I talked about Africa and El Shabaab and the different violence that's going on down there out of Somalia. But the other things is we still got things like the African national Congress is back in the news again. They're actually always in the news down there and they're deepening divisions that are developing in the ANC that are causing problems with many nations. And then we have places like, you know, threats inside of Mozambique, even though they're having military success, we're looking at American special forces or in the Congo and other nations now fighting terrorist groups or militant groups or different types of guerrilla groups, you know, in places around Rwanda and Uganda have always been unstable. And then we have, you know, the Tigray conflict in Ethiopia and it's getting worse. And there's, you know, political talks going on, but they're not going anywhere. And these are things that people don't always see or follow. And I mention these things with key titles and stuff so that if you're out there and you want to research these things, you know what to look for and see the things I look at and why I forecast things differently than most other people. And I look at it not always on a military, I mean, I can take the military perspective when needed, but I look on more of the available information and intel side and how it works through trade and treaties instead of focusing on one subject, thinking that's the be-all, end-all. Doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but I'm in the neighborhood a lot. So those are kind of some things I've been looking at, and all those things are either happening or we'll see more development happening through the end of the year, and then we'll see what happens when we get into the new year. And then um, despite where you sit on any president's views and opinions, we have a thing called the GAO government accountability office that tracks a lot of things historically that have happened with economies and whatever in this country. One of the things they've always said is once you hit about the 10 month mark, give or take a month, you're pretty much out of the window of where anything that happens could be related to the previous administration. And we're coming close to that time period. Now why all presidents blame the prior president, no matter how long they're in office and they take credit credit for things they like that happened that had nothing to do with them. that had to do with the prior president. Once you reach about 10 months, this is why I brought things with Afghanistan and said, look, that was Trump's plan. 
Biden chose not to renegotiate. He added three months on. He was sitting in a better position. We knew the Taliban was going to take over. When we guessed six weeks, that was considered really fast. It took like 11 days. We didn't see 11 days happening. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody thought that. And so that's where we sit. So the only thing that, only one thing could have possibly been different with a different person sitting in that chair is whether or not we closed down Bagram, which could have changed the whole game. But we don't know that that would have happened because we don't know because the former president wasn't there to make that decision. But other than that, it kind of came out that way that, you know, you can blame that guy all you want, but he followed his predecessor's plan and chose not to change it. You know, and then we're coming to a point where you just can't take credit anymore and you can't blame anymore the former president. And that time is upon us. We're coming up to the end of the year and we'll see how things play out in 2022 and figure out where we're going from here and what's going to happen. Also, don't forget, as I previously mentioned, send me in a question in the show notes. There's a link there where you can send in a voice question. You have 60 seconds. It will cut off. Send me in a question. If I answer that question on the show and the show is all about your question, we'll definitely get you a one-year free subscription to PI Magazine, courtesy of Jim Natas over at PI Magazine that did the interview on me a few months ago that we have become friends with, with his podcast and ours. So definitely give that a shot. And we look forward to hearing your questions and answering it on future episodes. If you like this episode, don't forget us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using, and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at. And don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublication.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.